What up, peeps? Welcome into Unscripted and Unprepared, brought to you by Real Screen Magazine. I'm Jimmy Fox, and this episode was our first ever live audience recorded podcast with Mr. Elliot Goldberg at the 2017 Real Screen Summit in Washington, D.C. It was a lot of fun. Elliot is such a great guy, has such a diverse background. We talked about his days at Ryan Seacrest Productions when he was the producer that brought the Kardashians to the network and into our lives, really. So we have Elliot Goldberg to thank. We also talked about his days at TV Land when he moved into the scripted world. And we even went back further to him coming up as a producer in the entertainment news world. So this was done in front of a live audience at Real Screen. It was a little different. It was a little weird having a big group of people stare at you as you try to make small talk with somebody. But I think it was a lot of fun, and I just want to thank everybody who came out and attended the live podcast. Hopefully we'll do more in the future. And shout out to the folks at Real Screen for the great audio quality. I was really, really impressed with what we got here. Certainly better than my last 15 minutes in the Ben Silverman episode. I can assure you of that. So here's my sit down with Elliot Goldberg. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, everybody. How are we doing? Uh, So by round of applause, who's actually heard the podcast before? Okay. That's not awkward. Uh, A lot of newbies. Um, So this is a monthly podcast. We post just conversations with executives uh, in the unscripted world. Uh, My guest today uh, has as diverse a background in TV as anybody I know from production, news, development, and buying at a network. Uh, He's also just a hell of a nice guy. He oversees uh, development now for Unscripted for AMC and Sundance Channel, uh, Mr. Elliot Goldberg. Come on up. Yes. My man. We start. So fresh off the plane from Sundance. Yeah, we did the march uh, with 8,000 people in the snow and uh, pretty amazing couple days in Sundance. Oh, some applause. There you go. A few few, uh, timid supporters out there. Good. We're not, we're not, uh, told me not to get political. Yeah, don't get too political. So let's start at the beginning. So where did you grow up? I grew up in New Canaan, Connecticut, a small town about an hour outside of uh, the city. So I was kind of a New York City adjacent kid. And all that, you know, the media market of New York. So I was influenced by kind of what was going on in that big market uh, as a kid. So that, you know, sports teams uh, and television channels. And uh, it was a small town, about 17,000 people. And I grew up at a young age. Uh, My first kind of entree into entertainment was the Beatles. You know, my brother had the albums. And when I was five, I would steal his albums and just get lost in, you know, Yellow Submarine and Sgt. Peppers. And so by five, I was like a massive Beatles fan. Uh, As well, my parents were really big film buffs, like huge film nuts. So they'd take me to, you know, like old movies. And every week I'd be seeing things, you know, when I was six years old, seeing R-rated movies. And uh, I just kind of caught the entertainment bug. To me, the Beatles, though, were show business. You know, they were television, film, music. They Mm. put on just such a show. And I was just mesmerized. So between, you know, that and in television, I grew up a kid, you know, like everyone else in the seventies watching those, all those great sitcoms, the Brady Bunch and Partridge family and all those. And so I knew I was destined for some kind of an entertainment career, but I had no idea that I would land here on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. I, you. This is what it's come to. You've arrived. I have. Uh, so it's your parents and just your brother. 
my brother and my parents. Yeah, there was four of us, uh, so three guys and, and, a, and a mother. Who, what did your mom do? My mom was a professor for 35 years uh, at a place called uh, Adelphi University in Long Island. So she was an academic. Uh, she taught social policy. So if you can imagine my politics came from, um, she was a uh, very devoted, dedicated professor at the same college for 35 years. Huh. And my father was a architect. He had his own firm in our town, and a modern architect. So, you know, I was kind of had this, as much as the entertainment bug, I was constantly, you know, culture and academics and books and, you know, kind of going to New York City all the time and being kind of exposed to the art scene. And politics discussed at the... Oh, my ball. God. I mean, my parents were not shy about their politics. And, uh, and so my mom, so her social issue, you know, she was marching in, you know, nuclear, anti-nuclear weapons and um, civil rights since the 60s. So it was wow. hard not to be kind of, uh, you know, we were taught... But was that different for New Canaan? Was oh, it- my God. That's, that's a great point. New Canaan is a, you know, I would say a uh, completely Republican town. So we were an anomaly in that town. Um, it was a moderate Republican a town. Lot of Jewish families in New York? Oh, so many. Yeah, yeah. If you ever see, there's a movie called The uh, um, Gentleman's Agreement, Gregory Peck, okay. and there's a line in there about anti-Semitism. They say, if you think Derry Ann's bad, you should see New Canaan uh, <laughs> in the 50s. It wasn't when I got there. When we were there, it was fine. But, um, but yeah, so it was an unusual kind of, you know, huh. the liberal you know, family in New Canaan. And, um, but it, there was, it was an amazing town to grow up. It's a beautiful New England town. And so all that, you know, the falls and the winters were just a great idyllic way to grow up. So you fall in love with the Beatles and that influences you. And you got into playing music in your teen years. Were you in a band? Yeah. I, I, when I was 14, I, I was again, obsessed with trying to figure out how to play music, but I wasn't very good. And so I willed myself and I just, you know, I took, guitar lesson after guitar lesson to find the right teacher. Who was the girl? Everyone. Yeah. Any girl that would, yeah. you know, I, I thought that was the best way in to uh, be able to pick the guitar and sing, of course. It wasn't just the of guitar. Of course, yeah. So, like, you know, I remember at the time uh, my brother's girlfriend would be in the next room over and I would, you know, horrible. And she'd be like, just give that up. Stop with the singing. Stop with the guitar. But I wouldn't do it. You know, I just had to. So I played in bands. And that was kind of my first love of, you know, being on stage and um, playing music and singing. And I've never lost that. Uh, so I, I still thank the Beatles. You still for. play, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm still a wonderful. How do you gig? Like as a no, I don't gig anymore. You don't. No, when I was in my twenties, I didn't have kids. I would go do gigs at you know clubs and and play on the streets, anywhere I could get in front of a crowd, karaoke. It didn't matter. I just I I loved it, and I love it to this day. It's it's a hobby. But there was a period when I was playing you know in clubs in L.A. and I actually had a gig one day on a live television show on local NBC, KTL, uh, K, what KNBC, at like one Sunday morning. That was my last television. Long hair. Uh, probably, probably bad hair, early nineties, bad hair. So you go uh, on to college and you went to Wisconsin. I went to university of Wisconsin, Madison, go Badgers. Anyone? Any bad? No, no Badgers. No, uh, no big 10 fans in yeah. the house today. At the, at the time, Madison was not a hot school. People would look at me like, why are you going to Wisconsin? That's in the middle of the tundra. And I would say, I don't know. I'm just, cause I want to just try something different. Why? No, but why Wisconsin? Well, why? I didn't want to go to LA for for the business yet. I thought it was too far and I want to get out of the East coast. So really the center of the country was the, was the, and I got in, you know, the truth is Jimmy, though my mom was a professor, I was not a good student. Sorry, kids don't listen to me. Um, but so I just, I, 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 Wisconsin was a place that would let me in Hmm. that had a good, actually had a really good film department and television department. Um, just not, not like 
you would get at USC or UCLA, but for the Midwest, it was pretty good. But it's, it's known to be one of the biggest party schools in the country today. I don't know what it was. Oh, there. I didn't get an education there. I got party. <laughs> you know, that, that was it. It was a great social experience. No, I mean, I did. I, I, I studied television and film. So how, you know, right. how uh, taxing was it? Um, they weren't, you know, grades weren't my, my number one goal. But I did uh, the experience of Wisconsin. Very liberal school, again, in the 80s when it wasn't a hot school. Nobody knew about it, but just great people, you know, a lot of Midwesterners. Uh, you know, at that point, not many people came from out of state, mm. but it was dirt cheap and an unknown secret. And our sports were horrible. We had not won any national championship in, in Wisconsin in any sport mm. since, I think, the 60s in Pac- Green Bay. So for like 20 years, and then we finally won in, I think, 92, the Rose Bowl. And that was the first national championship of any uh, Wisconsin team. So we were terrible. It was like the only team we could beat with North, was Northwestern at the time. And that all changed after I left. So I must have been a good sign. So in school, you were studying TV production. You were playing music. But you also did some acting. Yeah, my first thought was be an actor. Um, you know, again, I, I just I like to perform. I liked to create. I like to do anything right act, sing. And so I would kind of do everything. And uh, I did a play at a, at, a, um, at a small theater. I did a few plays, but one that was a Woody Allen play. And mm-hmm. you'd be shocked to know I played the lead, uh, okay. the Woody Allen character. You wouldn't know that, would you? Uh, and um, so it was just, you know, like a great experience to, to play a different character. But I did a, I did a, uh, a, a paper on acting at one point to do research on it for class. Yeah. And I saw that actors made like $17,000 a year on average. So I just, that was never, <laughs> that was I was that, no, no. I mean, I wasn't all about money for sure. That was never my goal, but I didn't want to starve, you know? So TV um, kind of felt like the next best thing. And what about internships? So did you actually get some experience while in college working in for a real company? Yeah, I did an internship at, again, I was outside New York. So I, I got an intern, I was lucky enough to get an internship at the local Channel 5 Fox uh, affiliate. And there was no Fox News at this time, so it wasn't, you know, that. But it was a big city news desk. Right. And I was in the tape library. And this was my college internship all summer. And, you know, it was New York in the 80s, so it was grimy. And That's a great internship. It was awesome. Like, at the time, that's a huge internship. Current Affair had just launched. So, like, the first, one of those first big tabloid magazines and I saw I didn't want to do that but I right. thought the idea of a news organization being a part of a news desk and the the fast paced of that and I liked I was a news junkie kind of on my own so I thought news could be an area I would go to but I also got tired of the murders and the rapes and the storms I didn't really want to go cover those things so my first thought was maybe be a reporter be um and then I said well maybe be a reporter but be an entertainment news reporter okay. uh, or maybe be a film critic because I had always grown up outside of New York reading all the film reviews. Like I had read the New York times and time magazine. And I just, I, I loved, you know, the analysis of movies. That was always, that's what I went to college really. To, I did. Mm. So I would see great films and then read about them and write about them. And then I started writing some film reviews. And so I thought, Hey, news, entertainment, film, I could, that's kind of where I started in the unscripted business. Cause at that point there was no unscripted television other than right. documentaries and news and talk shows and game shows. But I, I felt like at least it was for me, it was more immediate and you could get things on the air a lot quicker than a script that would take right. you know, years or whatever. So you move on. And what was your first gig out of college? So I first gig, I went to, um, I was trying to get a job in New York City, and there was really not much there for me. And so I sent my resume all over, and I got a job at Hartford, Connecticut at Channel 
three WFSB. Okay. It was the 23rd market, and, which was a pretty good-sized market That's to start good. news. Yeah, and I got a job at 22 years old as the floor director, okay. which is a stage manager. So I was on live local news at 22, like giving the cues to the anchors. You know, the guests would come on. It was like a two-hour afternoon live show. And small fact, one of the anchors at that time was Gail King. Get out. Oprah's friend. Before she was Oprah's friend, I think, I don't know the exact, but she didn't talk about it at that point. Uh, and she wasn't famous. She was on, you know, this local news. But yeah, so I was Gail King's stage manager at the time. And, you know, as a 22-year-old... That seems like a pretty important role was, for it, a kid fresh out of college. I shouldn't have had that job. I, I think they were really desperate because why would you get a kid who doesn't know how to do... I didn't have a background in stage directing or anything. They literally taught me, go out there, you know, tell them five, four, three. And you'd almost get caught on camera. You'd be running back from set Was a minimum set. wage? Oh, yeah. Paid. I think you got your answer. Yeah. I mean, that's why it was it was really bad. And it's funny because, you know, whenever you're starting on the business, you're really hungry. And I'm trying to sure, you know, get advice from people. Like, but the pressure of live TV. Oh, that was crazy. Even if it's just behind the scenes at a small market station. It doesn't it's matter. Live. It's live. And so I saw pretty quickly. I didn't want to do that. But I, I saw the people in the newsroom and I, I said, you know, and I'd had that experience. I said, yeah. being a producer or a writer or an anchor is really the right place, I think, that I should go. But I would ask the guys in the crew, because I was really, you know, at that point I was a crew member, um, part of the union. They wanted me to join the union and all that. And uh, I'd say to these guys who had been at the station for 35 years, you know, in Hartford, Connecticut, and I'd say, tell me what's the secret to the business? Like, what, what would you do if you were me at this, you know? And they'd look at me and they'd go, Get the fuck out. <laughs> you know, just angry, bitter guys who had just been in TV, in local TV way too. And so I listened to them and I got the fuck out and I moved to California and that was the start of my real, you know, like any real. You got, you got out of Connecticut, not out of the business. I got out of Connecticut and I got out of the local TV news business. Wow. And I said, uh, I got a call from a friend one day. This is one of those serendipitous things. I'm living in Hartford, Connecticut. My girlfriend and I just broke up. I'm in a, a shitty apartment. and I can say shitty, right? Well, you already said the F. Oh, okay. So, Sorry. Yeah. I don't know if we need to. I'm going to go there. So, uh, the parental advisory is on the podcast anyway. <laughs> These are all it's, grown totally ups. Cool. It's yeah. all right. It's all our business anyway. Um, and so a friend of mine called me and he said, hey, I got a job in L.A. You should come out. And I was always very practical. I said, no, I have a job. I have a girlfriend. I have an apartment. I can't just pick up and go to L.A. He said, you hate your job. Wait, did you say you had a job, an apartment, and a girlfriend? Yeah, my girlfriend and I were kind of on the rocks. It wasn't good. And he said, you hate your job. Where is she now? I don't know. Don't hope she's not listening. Okay. Uh, you hate your job. Your apartment sucks. Hartford sucks. And your girlfriend and you are basically done. What do you have to lose? Yeah. I said, I'll call you back in 10 minutes. <laughs> and I literally picked up all my crap, sold all my stuff, put it in my Honda Civic hatchback with a thousand bucks in my pocket, filled to the gills. And I drove across country like a month later for, with, with, uh, with like books on tape. Cause at this point there was no cell phones. Right. There was no CDs, barely like in your car. And I just, you know, just, I, I don't know. My parents must have been like, Jesus, we didn't know how we we're going to reach them. And, uh, no leads for a job. Nothing, nothing. I knew a few people. I had an apartment waiting because my friend had moved out. He was going to let you crash. He's going to say, you know, he got this apartment. Oh, okay. So you can take the other room. So I literally, I literally drove across country in five days and, you know, I was just a zombie and I landed in Manhattan beach at this, you know, shitty, sorry, sorry. Yeah, you're, we're doing, we're, right, we're already past it. We're so, yeah. Let it rip. Here we go. Um, so, uh, yeah, and, I, and that was the start of, like, the L.A. television experience, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I had wow. no job, 
and I had uh, a relative. My brother was out there. So that was like someone. Your brother's older. My brother's older. And he was in the business, had just started out um, a couple of years before me. And he was you know, doing kind of the same thing I was doing. Brother David, right? Yeah, David. Formerly ran Endemol. Yep, David, who okay. was the in head the of Endemol and now Banaje America. But at the time, we were both kind of young, struggling. He was a couple of years ahead of me, and he was doing crew stuff too. He was mm. like a stage manager or something. So we both had in common. So how long did it take until you actually got a gig in L.A. when you came out? Well, I did the random runner stuff. You know, like right. commercials, anything I find. I was broke. I mean, I literally, my parents were, I think they gave me, you know, paid for my car payment or something. Right. And I, I had no money. I had $1,000 to my name for anything. So I really had to hustle. So I started hustling. And I, had, I saw this place called, uh, that I thought was kind of interesting, called Movie Time at the okay. time. It was, a, it was a cable network called Movie Time. And all they did was movies. It was like, that's kind of perfect. It's huh. movie trailers, behind the scenes. And that's all they do all day long. And I said, you know... Maybe I can work my way up and become an anchor or become a broadcaster or do something like in that area. And just about that time, it got announced that movie time was shutting down and they were turning over into this place called E! Entertainment. Ah. 1990. And I said, wow, a network for entertainment. Like that, you know, I had grown up watching Siskel and Ebert and Entertainment Tonight as a kid and all this. I said, a network full-time, brand new, you know, launching. That's the place I need to go. So I didn't know anybody, and I, I said, how do I get my, you know, my resume that had two things on it at this point to someone? I'll do anything, because I was making, it would be making more than I, my thousand bucks in my pocket. And by chance, my brother went to school, college, with one of the anchors who had just been fired, okay? So he, he had been let go for movie time because it was becoming E. And I said, hey, maybe I can get my resume to that guy. He said, well, it's kind of awkward. He just got let go, right. you know, like... You want to send him your resume? I said, well, you know, he knows some people there. Maybe he still has a good relationship <laughs> with them. So, so I typed my resume, I mean, my cover letter, and, you know, because there was no email. There was nothing. I typed it. I put my, you know, little resume, sent it off to this guy. He was nice enough to send it on to his friend who was, you know, there still. And they were wow. about two weeks away from launching E. I got a call. I went in for a PA job, and I got the job. And I paid $17,000, I remember. I think it had health benefits, though. So that was kind of good for a person who never had health benefits. And that person who got me that job turned out to be Greg Kinnear. Academy Award nominee, you know, very accomplished. But at that time, he was a fired movie time anchor who got me my first job in television. So anytime I'd run into him, like a couple times I would, I'd say, Greg, you got me my first job. Wait, hold on. He was a fired movie time anchor, but he would come back later to host. He the came soup, back right? after they became E. They then right. rehired him to be on the Soup. He then got the later job. Greg Kinnear got you your first PA job. Yes. Yeah. He got. He. He was just. A, and the whole total fluke because he had just gone to college with my brother. He didn't know him in the business. He just knew him from college at University of Arizona. They were friends or they were buddies. Uh, they knew each other. That's incredible. So yeah. So so I have Greg Kinnear to thank for my very. Look, I'm very happy to thank everyone. It's like an Oscars. You know, anybody who who along the way was there. It got you here, Elliot. It, yeah, Greg. Man, I want to thank you for this. So how many years were you at E4? So I was at E for about a year. We 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 actually E started really badly in terms of where they were. What was it at that point? It was, it, we used to work on Santa Monica Boulevard in an old porn production office called the Crack House. That's what they used to call it. It was so disgusting. There were transvestite hookers on the street. It was right near Formosa. Oh, I know the spot. Oh, you know the area. You've been there, Jimmy. Uh, 
So we would have to, late at night, we'd be putting things together. We'd have to walk. We had a tape library that was down the street, and we'd have to go down there, and they would you know, be accosted by the transvestites. And um, it, was, it was a very inauspicious beginning. But I learned what a network was. Right. I learned how to launch a network. I learned very quickly how to get... Well, what did the programming consist of at that point? Well, yeah, Kevin and Bean, the, the anchors, for, I mean, the uh, radio, radio guys, they had a show. Okay. They had like a like an anchor show where they would say you like know, just recording their radio was, show. No, no, it was like to you know. Like I remember, I remember like old Howard Stern. Like on this was e, before like, that. The, before the launch that. of E was like behind the scenes, okay. interviews, press like, junket type stuff, all stuff like that. Yeah, press. It was nothing. There were no shows. It was like Byron Allen, the network. It was like a, a wheel of you know the new anchor yeah. every and they tape and they okay. run it over. So, but what was really cool is we do we do did the live specials. So we do the Grammys and the Oscars. Okay. And so I would I looked at it, I said hey, I was in news. This is my opportunity i'm gonna see if i can move to the news department i was like a runner i was a production assistant you know but i thought if i can get in the news department i can actually go out and maybe get to do some interviews get in an edit bay right and so i volunteered and i said you know i'll work the grammys or i'll work uh you know i'll go do an interview and so i remember they they'd have nobody because it was such a new thing they'd have nobody to go out and cover some piddly event you know like signing of something okay. and they said send the kid out you know let him do it and i remember going on my for my first event it was like a red carpet thing and i literally froze i sat there i was like and i couldn't get the question out the, the audio guy had to take the mic and ask the question so that was my you know again i had very humble beginnings and but soon i got more comfortable and i really enjoyed basically producing you know going out there interviewing celebrities interviewing you know behind the scenes um and i remember at at e I had a moment where I wanted to move up because I thought, I'm doing, you know, I'm now out there. I'm not getting paid anything, and I'm, but it's great, but I want to go to the news department. And right. I remember trying to, that move where you go, how do I make the move? Is there any opportunity? And I went to the, you know, the, whoever it was in charge of the news, and I said, hey, I'd really love to, you know, be considered for an associate producer because they were the ones who were actually right. doing interviews. And they said, she said, you're a very ambitious young man, meaning like you're still overstepping your bounds. And I said, is that a bad thing? You know, I'm like, I'm really trying to learn and grow and, and do more. I want to be because part of Because you wanted to make the colossal leap from PA to, to AP. AP. Yeah. You're so I took that as a sign that maybe it was going to be a tough go there. And I, it was fine. I mean, I, you know, I didn't take yeah. it personally. I just, I thought, I actually thought, I'm, that's a pretty good thing if I'm ambitious. But I wasn't overly, I mean, I really was. I've never been over, like, trying to move up fast. I always wanted to do the job. But I felt like if I could just be in the news department, then I could, uh, you know, get... Did you get, get out? Yeah, so about a year after I decided, um, you know, I was stuck doing the PA job, and I wanted... So I got an opportunity to go to another entertainment news show and, um, and, and get to do more, you know, get to do more kind of producing. And was that Access Hollywood? No, it wasn't. It was a show called HBO Entertainment News Report. Okay. It was, a, it was literally a, like, half-hour entertainment report on an HBO at the time. It was kind of a small show and, and, uh, but I got to go do stories. I started producing. So I would actually go shoot the story, write the story, cut the story and tell four or five minute feature stories about Hollywood and get okay. to do press junkets and things like that. So at 23 years old, I would be out interviewing, you know, some pretty major celebrities wow. and, you know, sitting there trying to pretend like I was a you know, I'd done this. And you had just been in Wisconsin like two years oh, ago. Oh, yeah. And I'm sitting here with Tom Hanks going, so, Mr. Hanks, uh, let me ask you about your role. And, you know, and, uh, but it was awesome. I mean, as a kid who grew up loving entertainment. Oh, yeah. I was like, I was a huge fan of like watching the Oscars from my home, you know, like just thinking about 
one day look, maybe I mean, I'll be in the audience. 23 know, years old, single in L.A. Yeah, it was you awesome. Know, getting beers at Barney's Beanery or whatever yeah. you go back in the Formosa day. Cafe. You could tell girls, yeah, I interviewed Tom Hanks today. What'd you do? Yeah, that's right. You know? that's right. I don't think it helped much at that time, Jeff. Um, sorry know. to hear that. So I was all work, I think. Uh, so that was, yeah. So it was, I, I thought that that for a while was the path. And I, yeah. But I still had this dream of being an on-camera film either critic or okay. reporter. And I didn't know how to do that in L.A. You know, I said, how do I do that? And I, and I kind of put in the back. I said, you know, and I would do, like, stand-ups. You know, I'd be out on the field. And I'd go, hey, cameraman, do a stand-up with me. And I'm like, I'm here at, you know, this premiere. And we're the red carpet. Like, put a reel together? Yeah, like I put a reel, reel together. Exactly. Okay. With, with all BS because it wasn't real. You know, right. I wasn't actually doing it. Um, and I remember one time at that local station in Hartford, I asked the studio if they'd, you know, let me shoot a film review where I would talk to camera right. and, and, and it was, just, I mean, I got to find it cause it was the worst friggin' thing I've ever seen. You know, even at the time, like this is horrible. I, I've got no future in this. The world doesn't need another entertainment. No, no, no. So, so I, I you know, yeah. But yeah, I want to cut forward cause you get the yeah. access Hollywood. And you keep producing there, and you're doing interviews. And well, I went to Access Hollywood. It was starting. Again, I yeah. always went to the place that was starting, right? I right. went to E when it started. Access Hollywood, I heard, was bubbling up. And actually, there was a few more jobs between that. But, but I thought that was – because Entertainment Tonight was really the other alternative, and they were kind of full up. You, you, no one ever right. left there. So this new entertainment magazine was, was a real – at that time, in 1995, I think – was, was a dream job for a 26-year-old, 27-year-old kid. So I got in there. I was the first producer hired. This was 20-plus years after the ta- before the tape, the infamous tape. The Donald tape? Yes. Uh, so I, you know, I started that show. Um, Ann Roberts, you know Ann Lewis? Sure. She hired me. She, was wow. my, she gave me the call. I remember her leaving on my message. This is Ann, and you're, uh, you're, you're hired. And... It was, it was exciting. It was a national show. It was a new show. And I did one of the first pieces on the first show. And I think it was Keanu Reeves with uh, Giselle Fernandez was the, um, was the reporter. So I was doing the producing of the, sh- of the pieces. But I, was, I was literally did Nancy O'Dell's first piece uh, out in the field with her. You know, all Pat O'Brien, all the early days of Access Hollywood. Uh, and I was doing, I was the film guy, so I, it was perfect. I would go to sets, I would go to premieres. I remember doing feature stories on, like, when Titanic came out, when Saving Private Ryan came out. Like, I interviewed, like, the first interviews, you know, Vince Vaughn ever did, Charlize wow. Theron, John Favreau. Literally, like, will you go interview this new up-and-coming Skinny talent? Vince Vaughn was handsome, wasn't he? Oh, Skinny Vince Vaughn was just, like, yeah. wired, you know? Yeah. Um, I would get to interview, I remember the best interview I ever did, not me, but um, Robin Williams. Yeah. I got to do a junket with Robin Williams, and we had like... How long did you have with him? 20 minutes. Really? 20 minutes with Robin I think Williams? it was 20 minutes. I, and I, you know, we get extra time. How many words time. did you get in in that 20 minutes? One. Yeah. I mean, he was the funniest human being I'd ever sat with. I was literally crying the entire time. I yeah. couldn't speak, cause, and it didn't matter. I didn't need to ask a question. But just being, you know, getting in a room like this with... You know, Eddie Murphy and Denzel Washington and Meg Ryan. I'm 25, 6, 7, whatever it is years old. And um, that was pretty much a dream at that point. You know, I couldn't ask for more. The problem is on those... And and the best thing I learned there beyond, um, you know, just the speed, the pace, getting things done every night, you'd have to turn around pieces. But I learned how to write, you know, scripts. I learned how to edit. I learned how to put a story together. That's the crazy thing. Like when you work in that daily production 
model. I think for the, for, for those of us now, just in the typical, you know, reality model, you know, it'll be March and it'll be like, Oh my God, like how are we gonna get the show on the air in August? Right. Oh yeah. And we have those meetings, like how we're going to make this happen and every day up in a model. And we didn't have avids barely. Avids had just come on. Right. So we were doing the AB tapes and to make, you know, if you make a change, it took like five minutes, but I learned that that's, you know, and I really, again, I, I, every step along the way, you learn something about what helps you in your future job, you know, learning how to edit, to write a story, to tell, you know, write narration, basically learning how to do a documentary, you know, in short form. Um, it was great training ground. And after doing that, after three years, I realized my on-air career was probably, you know, fading away and I didn't want to be on a daily show anymore. I was, you know, I knew I was going to get married and have kids at some point. It's a grind. And I'd look at these folks who were doing it, who were terrific, you know, producers who've been doing it for 20 years and they were just, you know, tired. Yeah. It was exhausting. Yeah, yeah. And I frankly wanted to do more. I didn't want to just work on one show, one story every week or every day. You know, I wanted to just really have spread my wings. So it was that moment, the road, you know, which way do you go? And I was lucky enough to get, uh, to start, I was exploring, what should I do? I, I like, should I, can I still do this on air thing? And they'd say, look, if you're going to do it, you got to go to Podunk and really right. cover fires and floods. And I said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not, you know, starting over. I've already kind of made the way. So I realized that TV development where I could do all kinds of shows and actually do them from scratch was probably a really good place to go. Now, at this point, just so you know the time, there was no really traditional or there was no reality unscripted television other than news, real world, you know, MTV. There was nothing, you know, nothing had broken our country, which we'll get to. So it was talk shows, game shows, magazine shows, but that's what development was at those places. So um, next person on the chain, I was fortunate enough to have a, uh, get a meeting with Stephanie Droskovich whom a lot of people I'm sure know and a terrific uh, executive and friend. And I was, you know, pretty young kid who had no development experience at mm. this point, but I had production experience and Stephanie and I hit it off. She was at Disney uh, in the studio, um, yeah, the uh, Buena Vista television who did yeah. Siskel and Ebert. They did, they actually did uh, who wants to be a millionaire that produced it. And so um, we had a great meeting. I, she gave me a bunch of shows and asked to give notes on them just to see what my take was. And I guess she liked my notes. This and, is during the interview process? No, yeah, like, give us, here's five pilots, give us notes. And I, you know, I, I had never done notes before other than my own stuff. But I just, it was natural. You know, I was like, oh, yeah, I would change this, the graphics on this. But, you know, just you have a gut for this stuff, uh, hopefully. And Stephanie loved the idea that she could have someone who wasn't an assistant moving up, you know, to do development, but right. someone who had actually been in the field, right. who actually knew how to tell a story, to edit, and, um, you know, could meet people. And I, obviously, I was poised enough to interview celebrities. I could right. talk to producers, you know. So what, what was the role? What did you become? It was director of development at okay. Buena Vista Television. And it was a weird time there. I mean, like I said, the, the cool thing was, who, like the month I started something, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire was launched from our department, our production department. Just as you started. Just as I started, we were producing a show. It wasn't, we weren't, our executives weren't, but our production team yeah. was. So I was literally at the ground floor of the reality explosion, just tangentially. And I was like, that, at the moment we all had, which was, holy shit. Yeah. A, a show that's real people, you know, real stories, um, winning you know, big money on a grand scale, you know, that opened up everybody's eyes. And I remember thinking, that's what I want to do. 
Uh, it takes, and the other thing I didn't say when I was, I really liked news and documentaries. I had always been into true storytelling, as much as I love movies and, you know, television, but I love the real stories of real people and how you could, you know, let them be themselves and you right. know, hear their story. And I just thought, the, you know, it was genius, these people, you get to really invested in them. And I got sucked into who wants to be a millionaire and that changed the, our entire business. Well, then the boom hits, right? Survivor the, lands on CBS. So, yeah. So, so I, the truth was I came to Disney and it was kind of, it was syndicated and we were selling to network and it was really kind of tough. Stephanie left, Brooke Carson also was with me there. She left and, and I was like, okay, I think it's not going to happen here. I, I got good development experience. I learned how to be right. a development executive, to take pitches, to give notes. To, uh, and, and I, you know, I kind of, I wanted to, I learned from Stephanie and Brooke and it was great kind of experience. And I got an opportunity survivor. I heard about was coming out and I was like, this sounds amazing. Rats on an Island and people like, you know, scrounging for food and, uh, you know, like real survivor. Right. Stuff. And, but, but a big prize, like it sounded so great, man. I remember reading about it and looking on the website and I got the opportunity to go interview for a job at CBS because okay. they needed a department. They only had a specialist right. department. They had no one to do. I mean, I think. So was the, that originally bought through the specials department? I think it was bought through Gen. I think Gen Maynard. I don't Is know. That's so weird to think, though, that there weren't departments they did, well, like they that did, at no, the broadcasters. They the did live specials and the Grammys and that kind of stuff. Right. They didn't have any reality. There was no, there was no such thing. This was the first. It's just nuts. One. I think those departments. Survivor was their first right. reality of show. Okay, so, so you go and interview with who? So I go and interview with, with Nancy Tellum. Okay. And which is, you know, intimidating. It's like the president of I'm CBS like 28 years old or something, you know? I, haven't, I don't really have a long, distinguished career at this point. I mean, I'm just like a kid who got in development a year. But nobody does in reality. So well, I, nobody knew how to do it, right? right? So it was all new. Okay. So I went and had a great meeting with Nancy. And I passed that test. And like, this is a big deal. You're in the CBS, you know, offices and... And again, my resume is now half a page, you know? Right. And so she passes me on to Les Moonves. Now, what? Even, even, yeah, he's going to make the decision. So even at that point. Wait, wait, hold on. What was the role? What, what it was, was the like job? a director of, of a director of development and Les Moonves yeah. needs to clear that? It was. It might have been VP. It might have been VP. But I think it was working for Jack Sussman, who was like, the, he was the guy who was running yeah. specials. So like that was. Okay. So you get set up for a meeting with the Les Moonves. And at this point, Les is, you know, he's as big at that point as anybody in the business. Yeah. So, it's, I mean, you know, it's, he's gotten obviously much more, uh, <laughs> whatever you want to say, successful and, <laughs> and powerful. But. I, so I got to go into Les Moonves' office. I didn't know him. Uh, yeah, did you know how big of a meeting this was oh, at the time? Oh, yeah. You did. Oh, I was so You nervous. were conscious of what well, a big Well, you walk into this office. I knew, you know, I'd read enough about Les Moonves' okay. at the time. You know, telepicture, uh, Lormar. There was all kinds of, okay. you know, Warner Brothers and running CBS. And so I remember walking there the most intimidated I've ever been. It was like walking into The Godfather. You know, you're like... Hi, yeah. I'm. Yeah. In, I'd like the job, Mr. Moonves, and uh, I, I don't think I put on my best uh, interview uh, face. I was pretty intimidated, and he probably looked at me. I was about a five-minute interview, and he, you know, <laughs> it was I was out. But uh, it was a good experience in you know uh, going up against in big situations and failing miserably. Um, I didn't get the job, which I knew I hadn't, because I just you know he wasn't he wasn't going to be impressed with a guy who you know I thought. I mean, Nancy obviously thought enough of me to uh, to put me in that position. But um, yeah, it worked out okay. Ella. It all worked, it out, worked fine. out fine. And I mean, I would have loved to work on Survivor the first okay. season, but but you know, you, I mean, you don't get them all. And I'm, I'm, it's a great you know story along the way to tell, and uh, it's all I you know I I truly believe, Jimmy. I'm sure you feel too. Like the things that don't work out, they happen for a reason. Yeah. So you just you kind of 
any other door look i wanted to work at the wwe and i sent in a writing packet i thought that was like my dream job i sent in a writing packet i was like 23 and uh i called i pestered them i followed up on the packet and uh they were like yeah we were really disappointed in your writing packet uh and i was like okay i was crushed and had i gotten that job like i'd be on the road every day oh, with a traveling circus, you know? So I remember once I lived in New Canaan, Connecticut, like I said, and David Letterman lived in our town for a while. It was famous because that stalker would always go to his house in New Canaan. He lived down the street. Um, and so one day I went to his mailbox and I put in a, a letter for an internship, like in David Letterman's mailbox. <laughs> oh, that's mailbox. bold. Yeah, like, hey, dear Mr. Letterman, I live in New Canaan. <laughs> yeah, I, never got, I never got any uh, my internship there. So, so at this point, moving on from, from Disney, you, got, you went to VH1 for a while. Right. Yeah, I went to VH1 for a little while, yep. And then you went to Stone Stanley after that. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, now I, I kind of had had studio experience and syndication, and then I went to VH1, which was great because it was a cable network experience, you know, and back to a cable, I was at E. Right. This, you'll see this pattern. I go back, you know, producing network, producing network a lot. So Jane Lipsitz, um, Jeff Gaspin, and Lauren Zelaznik were at VH1 at that time. It was music first. There was no uh, non-music programming, and right. it was challenging trying to develop only music programming, music first. Uh, we did do Bands on the Run, which um, was nominated for an Emmy. That was re- really exciting, um, you know, to be part of that. And uh, but everybody left. Like you know, I showed up, and you know, Jane left, Lauren left, Jeff left. Right. They all went to NBC and on to a bigger and better things. So it wasn't, it just was again, the timing. And then after we, they left, I remember we would always say, how do we go beyond music first? Let's do pop culture. Mm. You know, we should do pop culture. And it was like, nope, we're doing music. And then as soon as I left, they got surreal life and pop culture and it all took off. But, uh, I, I wasn't a part of that. Um, but I, there was an opportunity after that reality boom was now in full scale. Right. And Stone like, Stanley was survivor there. takes off. didn't get that job, uh, which would have been, you know, and I'm, I'm like, but I want to get, but that's, that's still where I think ultimately would be great to be involved in. So Stone Stanley was, I'm sure many people know the company were just at the height of, of right. the boom. They had, they were done the, doing the mole. They were doing pop stars. They Joe were, Schmo do, show. Well, yeah, I ended up doing Joe. And Schmo you show. and a young Sharon Levy very young are Sharon working Levy. together at that time. Yeah. You're doing production and she was doing development. Oh, so, so Sharon, uh, Sharon who now runs spike. Yeah. Sharon is a great friend. And, um, you know, we were, we were coming up together. She was kind of her big development. Development first job. She was, in, you know, you know, you already talked right. to her from PR. So she was selling the shows and, you know, That's finding so these cool. formats. She was across the hall from me, and I came in, and That's I awesome. would then oversee, um, you know, many of the shows that were in current. And so we did, you know, the Mole and Celebrity Mole, which was just amazing uh, shows. One of my favorite shows ever done. And then when I was there, the big kind of um, crazy moment was the Joe Schmo show. Right. And these two writers, uh, Rhett. And Paul Wernick, Rhett Reese, had come up with this crazy concept that Sharon had developed, you know, with them. Um, and we ended up selling it to, at the time, uh, it just became Spike. It was TNN. TNN. And so I, because it was in the first season of a show, we did it together. It was because usually I'd take it over after it was up, but that was so much development. Are you in the show. control room? Oh, yeah. There's so some, if we go back and watch episodes, we can see. Oh, yeah. Sharon and I, and there's a great moment, actually, in that show that is my kind of moment. If you've watched the show, there's, I think it's the third episode, and, and Matt, the Joe Schmo, has a breakdown, and he wants to uh, quit the show. Right. Art Mark wants to quit the show, and everyone's freaking out. Like, the producers are like, what are we going to do? He's going to quit. We don't have a show. It's all going to go down. And they were really, he was so upset in the real, you know, in the show, yeah. but in the, that, that the producers um, 
Rhett and Paul, the guys who created the show, were like, I think we need to shut the show down. Because they'd never done reality television before. Wow. I was like, we're not shutting the show down. And it's in the, the show. It's really funny. I'm like, everybody stay calm. It's like the Animal House moment. Go back to your bed. You know, we will recoup in the morning and he will be fine. And I'm like, I don't know if he's going to be fine. I think he may have a heart attack. Next morning, he was fine. We got back on. We did the show. It was the most, it was the craziest experience I've, I've ever had to the stay in television. And I think you can ever have. Because it's a scripted show with an 80-page script with with improv actors and a real guy. And by the way, a couple of cool, uh, cool facts. Kristen Wiig was one of the actors who played, uh, you know, we had cast her early in the in show. In the Joe Schmo show. Great casting in that show. The, the Mark, Joe, Matt Gould was incredible. We made it through like the most outrageous fake challenges we could do and he would buy it and, you know, get to the end of the moment. He says, what is going on? It was the, like one of the greatest How moments. How often did you guys turn to each other in the garage though and look at each other like, should we really be doing this? Oh, never. Never. It was, you, <laughs> I mean, because you knew he was going to be fine. We're going to give him a big check at the end if he could just make it through. Because it was such gold. You know when you're in the control room, you've been there, Jimmy, when you're yeah. vested in a show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you are watching a, a, a soap opera unfold. Yeah. And yeah. you can't stop. And it's, it, this is real. I mean, Those like, are the best shows because you actually look forward to going to work the next ten day. Ten days of a hoax. Ten yeah. days of will he find out? Will the actors blow Wait, it? The whole thing was ten days? Ten days. We That's did like amazing. an episode in an hour. That's like, amazing. But, yeah, we shot it in ten days. And, um, and, you know, we made it. Just making it through was all we had to do. Like that he wouldn't find out. And he almost found out a couple times. But the, the coolest thing, you know, that's come from that among many, um, Rhett and Paul, who wrote, created the show, went on to write Zombieland and now Deadpool. And they are now up for nominations and awards. I'm so happy for those guys. They're just like, they were, they were such creative geniuses at that time doing, they'd never done a show like a reality show. Wow. It was groundbreaking. It was amazing. So Stone Stanley, that, you know, that, and then we did Celebrity Mole, and which was just so much fun. And Kathy Griffin, who now is Kathy Griffin, really was kind of on, you know, like low end of her career at that point. She'd done Suddenly Susan, I think, or... Yeah. And she was kind of struggling, and we we cast her on the show because she was funny, and she'd give us like you know some great sound bites. And she and Stephen Baldwin and Corbin Burnson would fight like cats and dogs, you know, on national television. People couldn't like they were, we thought they were going to come to blows, and you know, playing the mole. And um, it kind of her career really took off, came back in a big way, and uh, that show was just amazing. To so I only have so much time with you left, oh, so I, and we haven't got to the Kardashians yet. So let's let's go there. So. You are at Stone Stanley, and an opportunity comes up for you to go to Ryan Seacrest Productions. Not quite yet, but I went to the WB. WB. We and did, then yeah, we did WB. Beauty and the Geek, and then, and then uh, the WB uh, decides to sh- close ship and right. become... So, again, I, now I went to a broadcast. So, I'm, you know, a production company. Right, and that was your first network. time at a broadcast. Yeah, it was the first time WB was a broadcast network. It was, you know, very successful. How in long were you way. there before it closed down? 18 months. 18 months. 18 months. We did Beauty and the Geek. We did a few other cool, the Starlet. Beauty and the Geek, man. Beauty I was a PA on the first season of Beauty and the Geek. I, 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 you told me that. I had no yeah. idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. I was the casting wrangler, and I got fired. Oh, I hope yeah. it wasn't me that fired yeah. you. No, I don't, I don't think it was No, you. no. Yeah. I didn't fire anybody. That would be, no, I, uh, no. we don't need to get into it. But, yeah, <laughs> I was, I, well, you know, my brother, you know, I have an older brother that's also in the business, and he, he would tell me as an assistant, you need to be so ambitious that your bosses either have to promote you or, or fire. fire you. See, we were both ambitious. And I was, I think I took it too literally. Yeah. And I was too ambitious as a production assistant. See, you like, got the same message that I did. They were like, let's not have them come back for the last day of shooting. So, yeah. <laughs> that, that, was a, that was, again, one of the highlights, you know, a show that came out of nowhere. Beauty the Geek was, it was amazing. Awesome show. And, and my experiences on that as a PA was um, 
what put the seed in the back of my mind for what later became King of the Nerds that we did uh, at Electus. Uh, and the coolest part of it was, uh, you know, Ashton was married to Demi Moore at the time. I right? do remember. Ashton Kutcher produced the they show. Would be in the, they'd be in the control room. We were, yeah. Be in the control room. Yeah. And I'm fresh out of college yeah. at this point. I'm like 22, 23. And she'd be giving notes. Like, I would... Demi Moore. Yeah, Demi yeah. Moore is in the control room. Yeah. Like, we're sitting like this close in this cramped little control room, which is in the basement I was there with you. of the house. <laughs> And she's giving notes. Yes, I remember that. I remember that. I was like, wow. And part of me was like, this is so cool. I'm like sitting close to me more. And the other part of me was like, why is she giving notes? <laughs> well, she's not. She can. This. Um, so WB was, was a great moment like, yeah. to do that show. And, and uh, again, I think a really, like, again, I th- I'm really always proud of there's a, a show or two along the way that kind of breaks some ground that resonates with the audience. And for WB's audience, that show really resonated. It went on to MTV and it was great working with Ashton and Jason and Three Ball. And, you know, it's just a, uh, those experiences where you come out of them, the production is really amazing yep. to, and you see the magic happening out. That was like the height of the unscripted business for me of just feeling... That was literally at the... That was right at the time where you could literally sell something off a of wall. Oh, picture. yeah. And, and, and you'd feel like it was really fresh. It was yeah. fresh because it had never been done before. You know, yeah, the yeah. Joe Schmo show, the Beauty Geek. So... Wait, so, so Ryan Seacrest Productions. So... Yeah. At this time, I mean, we forget how huge Ryan was. Massive. I Ryan, mean, American Idol is a juggernaut. It's a phenomenon. It's the number one show in the... Probably in the fourth or fifth season. It is like, yeah. ma- I mean, beyond. Ryan is at the height. And, I mean, not that he didn't continue to go with Dick Clark and everything else, but, but he had this moment where he really wanted to be the next Dick Clark, and he, you know, got this amazing deal at, at Comcast with E and Comcast, and they were looking for someone to start up the company. You know, literally on their own, you know, like just go someone to develop and create. Um, so I, I was, everybody knew that the WB had gone away. I was clearly available. And uh, I got a call from his agent, excuse me, from uh, Adam Scher and uh, met with Ryan and we just hit it off. And I just, it went better than the Les Moonves interview, I take it. Yeah. Ryan wasn't as intimidating as Les. Ryan was but, terrific. But how long was that interview? Because Ryan doesn't have time to. Oh, we met like after American Idol between his radio show at like, you <laughs> right. know, 8.30 at night for 20 minutes. But right. no, no, we, it was great. And actually, we really hit it off. And I just come from the WB, so I got the brand of, you know, I was young, a lot younger at that time too. And I also got the brand of, I'd worked at E, I'd been at the WB, right. I'd been making reality TV now. And, and um, you know, I, now I was coming into my own. I felt like I, I could, you know, I'd done development. I'd done current. I had done a network. I'd been in production. I, uh, the only thing I really hadn't done is sold shows. So I hadn't done huh. that yet. So that was the only part where I was going, like, okay, I got to learn how to sell. But I figured, you know, as long as I can come up with the idea. And Ryan will be in the room. So I've got, like, that blanket, you know, uh, to hold on to. And that was always, you know. I, opened the a lot worst of thing was trying to pitch in a room with Ryan after he opened up the room. You know, he'd be <laughs> like, so this is the show. It's great. This is what it's going to be. And go ahead, Elliot. Um, so anyway, <laughs> the best you know, host like, in the world. Oh my God. He, but, just he, but, but, but when he would pitch, you could, you know, he, he was so on, he knew cause he's so good at how involved you know, was he in the slate? He was, he was, when you walked into the room, did he know what? The oh yeah, was? of course. No, Ryan, look, it, it, you know, uh, we worked together for three years and he, uh, he was really loved, you know, producing, developing. He really wanted to build this company into the next Dick Clark, just like yeah. Dick had. So he had a lot of advice from Dick and Merv Griffin and other people and yep. Simon Cowell right. and, uh, and other friends he had. So, you know, he, want, he had big ambitions to build it. And so it was, you know, doing that was, uh, was just an amazing opportunity. So describe for me the moment where the Kardashians first pop up on your radar. Sure. 
Uh, this is a this is a fun story and one that has been told in many different ways. So uh, I'll tell. I know. The, I'll I'm eager to hear. I'll, I'll tell the, the the true story. Um, so you know, we'd been going about a year, and we'd sold some stuff, and I, you know, but it was tough. It was me and you know, an assistant, and a, and I think a, you know, a lower level coordinator, sure. and and um, we're just trying to make stuff happen. We'd sold a few shows, and I remember thinking we have to get something for E because that's who the deal is with. You know, we we have to find something to satisfy this deal. So. I said, what's the fastest way to get a show on E? Well, you know, there hasn't been a show like The Osbournes in a long time. Like mm-hmm. a family comedy, wild Hollywood family. There have been a few that it worked a little bit. But, you know, at this point, it was tough to find. And Ryan and I were talking all the time about, you know, what should we be looking for for E? And we kind of, like, this is where we should try to find something. So... Um, I, I, I had, at the time I was working with, uh, a talent booker on another one of our shows. I had brought on board to book a show and I said to them, Hey, if you know any great families, like any good celebrity families, um, please, you know, I'd love to meet them. Right. Um, the person was Dina Katz, who's like celebrity booker of extraordinaire from, uh, from Dance with the Stars. She was friends with the Kardashians. So she had been friends with them, like would go to their house. Right. Cause the stories I've been told by people is that the Kardashian sisters had been out and made the rounds and pitched the networks many times. Well, I had heard there this. was a show with the three of, I didn't know anything about that. Like I, I, I later I've heard there was a show with just the three of them about right. the store and it no, and it didn't sell. Okay. So I think E was, they were on the, like they had heard, they, look at this point, there was a little bubbling up that tape had, I think just come out, but all people knew was that they were friends. Wait, what with, tape are you talking about? I don't know. There's some tape of one of the girls. Are you talking about the Ray J tape? Yeah. I've never seen it. Yeah. <laughs> I never did either. Yeah. So, um, but, but the truth was. This, so that happened before you. I think it did. Yeah. I think involved it, it did. It did. But, but okay. it wasn't like, it wasn't like some big, it wasn't Paris Hilton, you know, who was on a big show. Right. Well, nobody really. Because kn- before that, Kim was just Paris's friend. Paris' friend. And she, she had, uh, and look, Bruce Jenner was the big thing. Yes. Bruce was an Olympic <laughs> athlete. He had been on some other reality shows. You know, it, it, they were known him because of OJ, because of the Kardashians' connection with, his, you know, Robert Kardashian. Sure. So there were little bits of the story that you knew, but I didn't know him at all. I didn't know much about him. So did they just come into your office one so, day? So, I, first so Dina you? asked me, you know, we you, you should meet them. I said, okay, I don't know. How, I don't really know how you're going to sell it because I don't know, like, what the story is. Uh, but I'd love, yeah, you know, I, I'd love to. I'm looking, so I'd love to just see what it is. So they came in one day with me. And, and who's they? Like, the whole family? No, uh, Bruce, Chris. Bruce and Chris are there. Uh, and the three girls. Okay. Kim, yeah, yeah. Chloe, and uh, Courtney. So the parents were involved in this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were the, it, was, it was literally yeah. the five of them. Okay. Because uh, that's what the show was, the five of them, right. really, at that point. And in, within five minutes, I watched a show unfold in front of my eyes. Literally, they, the show like, was performed. It was the, the yelling, the bitching. The, I'd never seen anything like it in my life. I was like, wait, is this real? Like, this is insane. And it was real. Like, this is how they talk to each other. You know, you fucking bitch. I, mom, you know, blah. And Bruce is sitting in the corner kind of like Shaking looking like heads. this, yeah. you know, like I'm, he and I are talking about sports and I'm like, oh my God, it's Bruce Jenner, the Olympic I, athlete. And I walked out of there going, I don't know what the fuck that just was, <laughs> but there is something there. But I had no idea how, um, how to sell it because like, well, nobody really knows what this is or what they are. Right. So um, long story short, because we don't have a lot of money, a lot of time, you know, we, we, Decided to, you know, take it to E and, and give us some money to make a, put them on tape. 
We made uh, a tape, you know, really down and dirty sizzle. So you, came, you came in with just them in the room. You didn't have your own sizzle. We no, nothing. Nothing. You came then in. we brought them in to meet with Lisa Berger and right, E. Right. And, um, you know, so they could see what I saw. Right. Like, because they were like, yeah, we know about that. And, and then they gave you money for a present. So they gave us money for They saw, you know, what I saw. There was, there was a, something right. interesting there. So we did the sizzle reel and it was gold. Yeah. Like, we went out and shot it. And immediately I watched it in the edit bay going, there is, there's, this is, I'm not crazy, you know. But still, how are you going to market a show about a family that nobody really knows? And I think E, you know, at the time, I mean, they, they saw the tape and they said, this, there's something here. We got to, you know, give this a shot. But I don't think anybody, I know nobody because I was part of that, had a clue that it would hit, that anyone would see it. Um, except Chris, probably, you know, Chris, right. Chris was very, um, focused and very sure that there was something, uh, you know, there and, well, and look, was, was oh. Chris always that savvy? Like, did you know it from day one that Chris was, Chris as was, driven was as we know it no, I mean, I, I just met her, you know, in, in a meeting and a couple meetings we had with Ryan as well. And, and she was very, yeah, she was clearly very focused and, and could see that there was a show here, Yeah, but that's all we knew. And I remember the best thing uh, Chris ever said to me in the beginning was, uh, you know, she said, you got to do, well, let's do the show together. I said, oh my God, we got to do this. This is, this would be great. She said, listen, Elliot, shit always happens to our family. <laughs> I can tell you and promise you if we do the show, shit will happen to us. No true words have ever been said oh out of God. anyone's mouth in that moment. Oh my God. And, and so I give Chris, you know, all the credit for realizing that her family had something special. So, you know, it's just a weird, you know, moment on this journey that I've been on, uh, that, that kind of happened in a very organic way, and um, it's a great story, and uh, it's been incredible to watch, you know, the show kind of blow up in the way it has, and, um, you know, all it is. So I, I, I leave it at that. And here we are. And here we are, but there's right. much more. So you move on. You eventually get over to TV land. Yeah, uh, that was really uh, a, a nice moment because I, you know, after three years with Ryan, you know, it just felt like it was... I done some great things there, I thought, and, and I had an opportunity. I got a call to go... Uh, go back to the networks. And I, again, I love to bounce back and forth to be a buyer, to be a seller, to right. be a producer. And I think it makes you a more, you know, a valuable um, executive. But again, in line with the trend of your entire career, you know, always going to places that are just starting. Texas Hollywood just yeah. starting. Yeah. Uh, the WB was, was, was relatively new and they yeah. kind of crashed and burned. And then RSP when it just started. Yeah. So now TV land at this point, I mean, I think around this time, TV Land was mostly just old shows in syndication. Well, the thing is, you know, to, to add to you, it's either just starting or rebranding, or right? Restart, you know, and so TV Land was trying to reboot, and they were the Nickelodeon arm for like all the old reruns. Yeah, that and I they, grew up they on. realized they needed to do some original programming, but along the way, they decided, hey, we should try some sitcoms because Keith Cox, right. Keith Cox, who was my boss at uh, WB, also at TV Land, had a sitcom background, and so he they decided to start. So midway through there. We just went all sitcoms. Um, Hot in Cleveland was our first show, uh, and it just took off and blew up, you know, out of nowhere. I had never done sitcoms. So you were hired to be a, uh, what? Yeah, to be senior vice SVP of SVP Unscripted. SVP yeah. in L.A.? In L.A. I was running the L.A. office, and Keith was my and boss. That would, and that would go across scripted and unscripted? Well, it, it's, it, at a certain point, it became scripted, and Keith really, you know, he, that he had the background. I didn't. I, I mean, I would be in, in pitch meetings, and I would be in, you know, production meetings, and I'd go to tapings and things. Were you there for the Joan Rivers show? How'd you get so rich? Was yes, I was there for that at the end of that, yeah. 
that was kind of just as I was coming in. I didn't really have anything to do with it, okay. but, but it did just go. So uh, you got thrown in a scripted. I got thrown in a scripted, and I did about a year on sitcoms. We did like five sitcoms. That's like crazy. It was crazy. I, you know, I realized quickly it really wasn't my bag. I mean, it was clear. I didn't have the background in writing. You know, Keith really knew everything about it. It's an entirely different beast. It, so it, I, and it wasn't for me. I'm, but I'm interested, like, yeah. having... Having now done both, tell tell people like what are the pluses and minuses from be, coming from a very hands-on background and unscripted to yeah. then being a network. Well, I think the problem was scripted. because I didn't have any background in it. I didn't yeah. feel I didn't feel confident in my abilities to, to give notes on scripts. Mm. And a lot of your work, you know, is the the script. Right. And um, so I would find myself kind of going, I don't really, uh, you know, it was the first time in a long time where I like I don't really know what I'm doing huh. to be to be additive to it. And yeah, so yeah, I yeah. just I didn't want to spend the next five years learning how to do sitcoms, and so I decided to uh, that probably wasn't wasn't the right you know I need to get back to my because they stopped doing unscripted right so, so then so um, so yeah so then it uh, you know it was time to kind of move on and and you segue within the Viacom family and you go over to CMT yeah there was a, there was actually the same job open down the hall uh, just it opened up and I, and it was a really easy transition because it was the same job my contract they needed somebody um, and so I went over to CMT just as they were they were actually trying to expand to do more broad based and less right. kind of of the traditional CMT so I thought that was really huh. good you know they were trying to go back because. Jason was there. He was trying to do kind of the broadcast stuff. He was doing right. like dating shows and, and competitions. And I thought, you know, that, and, and a lot of producers were coming in and kind of pitching those kind of stuff, not as much of the country music stuff. And so they were kind of trying to rebrand. Again, rebranding. That's my. Well, I want to, I want to ask you a question. I mean, because you, you go to CMT, and at the time, it, it's a very red state you know, audience that they're focused on. Very different than anything I've done up to that point. Anything you've done, and, and also very different from your own sensibility. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm just curious how, you know, because I've never been on the buying side, explain to a person, you know, how, how can you develop for an audience yeah. and a network whose sensibility does not match your well, own? Well, again, a lot of the shows we developed weren't, were more broader, and yeah. a little, that was kind of my area. You know, I'd leave the other stuff to the, the other folks to do the more kind of hardcore rednecky stuff. But not all. I mean, we did a show called Buy You Billionaires. It was kind of fun. Um, actually, it was very fun. It was like pre, uh, precursor to D- uh, right. Duck Dynasty. But, um, you know, the truth is, Jimmy, no matter where, I, where you go, you've got to try to put your head in that audience. So whether yeah. it's, I'm not a young female at the WB, I'm a young male, but I've got to think about what they might want or at, at E or, you know, at AMC or, right. or CMT. So, you know, that's what your job is to try to understand the audience and try to find something that breaks out. You know. And you're just relying on your research department to give you what you need to be able to make those decisions. Yeah, and it changes all the time. You're just trying to figure it out. And, you know, if you get lucky, you right. know, with, with something that breaks out. But I was, I was thinking about this the other day. Like you have, you know, certain cable networks that are focused on a certain part of the country you know, let's say red state, and they come from a different political lean, a different religious lean. Uh, they're in a certain income bracket, but yet the people that are programming for yeah. that audience yeah. are wealthy, liberal <laughs> people that are well educated. Well, I was right? not the right fit there for sure. Yeah, um, but there are other people are. But what I'm, what I'm saying is, for I'm just saying cable networks and, yeah. and how this works. People in our industry programming for people with an entirely different background. Do you think that sometimes that could lead to executives programming down? To that audience of theirs? You know, I, don't, I don't know. It's a tough question. Um, I don't think down. I think, you know, like every network you're at, right, it, it's a crapshoot, yeah. right? That's really what it comes down to. You try the best to find a show that has something, you know, that's 
you haven't seen before. Yeah. I mean, sure, every network goes to the same thing. You know what your basic audience is, and you're, you're throwing darts. And yeah. um, lucky, if you're lucky enough to hit, those, hit the bullseye you know, a third of the time, a full quarter of the time, you're doing okay because that big show obviously makes up for a lot of failures. But, uh, yeah. So I'm interested, now that you're at AMC, I'm interested, interested to hear, like, who is the core AMC audience for the unscripted stuff? Because yeah. when AMC started, you yep. know, for many, many years before you know, Matt Weiner sold Mad Men. It was like the John Wayne network, you know, it was great movies and, and, but Mad Men, uh, was a very coastal show. You know, it, it was, it was a narrow audience for that show, but very, you know, critically acclaimed breaking bad, you know, was a big, massive hit. Now walking dead, yeah. you know, really checks all the boxes and is able to be broad, but also very smart at the same time. And it's storytelling, right? Yep. So for the un, you come into this job. This was a newly created job once again, basically for somebody to run unscripted. It had been going, or actually, I, I yeah, yeah, it had been for about maybe a year and a half, you know, okay. a couple of years until I, that you know, they were trying to figure it out, right? But one of the things I think that was clear from the beginning was if you could draft off the uh, the successful audience that was there, which was, was movie, the right. movie audience, or the successful, obviously the big show, Walking Dead, then that was the most available audience. It was also kind of from a brand perspective, um, the, the best kind of spot. So shows right. like comic book men shows like talking dead. I mean, talking dead is the number, number one show, uh, talk show on television. I mean, it's, wow. it's just massive that comes from our department. And so, you know, that's the beauty of what we do. It's all kinds of shows, talk shows, game shows, you know, everything. Um, so that's kind of one of the cores is trying to understand, you know, the, what the walking dead audience might like. So we did a show, you know, again, a couple more, uh, connected Norman Reedus show right. came out of that because the audience is you know loves Norman. How did that do? Um, it did well. We're okay. coming back for a second season. Oh wow! Yeah, we're congratulations. Thank you. It's coming back uh, this fall uh, around when Walking Dead comes back. So um, we have a, you know we've just announced a couple new documentaries. We're really kind of heading into a little you know I think what we've it's realized a lot of limited plays for you. It is, but it also we realized that the Mob the West. Yeah, right? I mean we realized that. We've got to appeal to the audience that is there. So for the movie audience, shows like The Making of the Mob, which we did two seasons of, The American West, right. they're specifically targeted to, you know, American West was targeted to the Hell on Wheels audience. The uh, final season of Hell on Wheels, we paired it with it. Hmm. The Mob, we have mob movies. So, you know, um, our new couple new documentaries we're, we've announced in the last year, one is uh, with Robert Kirkman, the executive producer of The Walking Dead. Uh, about the history of comic books. So, so, smart. so we're trying to kind of appeal to true storytelling. I mean, you know, history, uh, real storytelling. We're really not, because when, whenever we've tried kind of the more traditional docu-soaps, game shows, um, I just don't think the AMC audiences, that's where they go for it. You know, right. they're, come, they're looking for something that's true, that's real storytelling, not follow-along doc. Not that that's not true, it is, but it's just, um, you know, I think history is, is kind of where, where we like to, our sweet spot. And Sundance Channel now is being rebooted, right? Yeah, so about a year and a half ago, we merged with Sundance TV, and we took uh, about a year or so to kind of figure out what it should be, both on the scripted and the non-scripted side. And uh, we've picked up our first series. We're doing a really cool documentary on the, the famous um, In Cold Blood murders in Kansas uh, that happened in the 50s, uh, obviously the movie and book um, after and how many uh, hours is that? it's a it's a two part four hour it's a limited okay. doc about the whole case of the crime and the and the capture of the so that'll be a two night event two night event okay. with in cold blood also the movie we can that's the beauty we right. can you know kind of we can license the movies and then also have it kind of a nice pairing together so what is sundance channel going to be moving forward 
Well, you know, without getting too in the weeds right now, uh, you know, we're just kind of in the process of rebooting it, but clearly with something like the, the uh, doc that I just talked about, um, you know, I think it's going to still be, uh, you know, true doc storytelling, um, probably a little less niche and art, arty, if you will, than the old Sundance. I think we're trying to broaden. I think you'll see that in the scripted shows. Um, but, I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, this is, we know exactly what it's going to be. And, um, you know, it's, it's going to be a little bit of a... Uh, guess and error, you know, trial and error. And, um, and we're going we're gonna to just start and open the doors literally like this week. It's exciting, man. You're in the right place. Thank you. Yeah. Like I, the road took you to the perfect job. Well, look, that's the, the lesson. Roads are very windy and I never had a, you know, a goal of where I would want it to go or was going to go or how I'd get there. I just kind of went whatever, you know, path it took me. And um, I've had a friggin' blast 27 years of just you know, going down the road and ups and downs and, uh, you know, at the heart of this unscripted business and I'm still kicking. And, uh, this job is, you know, I would, I argue, and I feel like is the best has come to the best place, the best job I could ever ask for, uh, the kind of programming that I personally love and a brand that is, you know, uh, unmatched, uh, in, you know, in cable, uh, basic cable. Um, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a real pleasure to be able to be on the same platform with these, you know, historic shows and to be able to use that audience to be able to you know take hopefully attract them to some of our stuff uh i think we're just getting going and the next few years are really uh you know we're kind of poised i think to have a uh i'm really excited to see what's going to come you're a lovely man thanks for doing this thank you jimmy you're a lovely man ellie goldberg everybody thank Thank you for coming out thank you all for coming thank you for putting up with the britney spears microphones too by the way it was awkward for us as well thank you (laughs) 